Reading for this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1 to 17. Uh, In my Bible, it's in 1227. Otherwise, you can follow up on the screen. All right, we'll start in verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is the light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. But be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Thanks be to God for his reading. Well, let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray this morning that you would give us understanding of it, that you would help us to apply your word in our lives. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit will empower me to share this, your precious word, with your precious people here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, as I said at the commencement of our service, uh, here we are, 2013 is already six days old. I wonder how many of you stayed up uh, on 31st night to watch the, uh, the fireworks and uh, enjoy seeing the new year come in. Maybe you stayed up the night and watched some of the fireworks on TV, or perhaps you actually went into the beautiful city here in Melbourne. Um, if you did look at the fireworks, for example, in Sydney, you've seen this uh, magnificent Sydney Harbour Bridge, Beautiful works there. Um, there's another picture of it. 
And then if you saw the city of Melbourne, uh, it looked so spectacular. We live in a wonderful city here in Melbourne, the greatest, uh, most livable city in the world. Now, if you did take time to, uh, uh, to analyze further the, uh, the theme for 2013, you perhaps would have heard this from Kylie Minogue. I'm sure most people would know her if you're into music. Uh, she said this, Kylie Minogue, she says, uh, the theme really for 2013 should be embrace. Uh, embrace is all about acceptance, tolerance, fun, and above all, love. In a city of great diversity, we come together. She's talking about Sydney, but uh, I'm sure it's applicable to, uh, to Australia in general. We're not saying that Sydney is the capital of uh, Australia. We're not saying that. But uh, certainly it is, to, some people might think it is. Uh, uh, but uh, the idea is to embrace. It's, uh, she, she goes on to say it's all also about that magical moment at midnight when we throw our arms around the people we love and express our happiness to one another. It's a very special moment. Well, how should we embrace 2013? Good question. How are we to live our lives in this new year. No doubt that 2013 will be a year that will be filled with opportunities. It will be filled with challenges. No doubt we will have trials as we uh, face life as well. And the question that is confronting us is whether we will seize the opportunities that God brings our way in 2013. And our text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, immediate context of this passage here, and if you have your Bibles, I'm sure you Keep them open to Ephesians chapter 5. You would see in Ephesians chapter 5 that the Apostle Paul has been talking about some very significant aspects of the Christian life. In fact, we have this word walk. I'm not sure whether you see it in the NIV translation, but the original translation uses the word walk three times. Paul says, walk in love. So he talks to the Ephesian church and he says to them, walk in love. The church is characterized by love. It's one thing uh, that as Christians we can give and we can share. We can share and give true love uh, to the world around us. So Paul says, walk in love. The second thing uh, that we see here is also this in chapter 5. He says, walk as children of the light, not as children of darkness. Uh, we've just celebrated Christmas and Christmas, we put out our Christmas lights, we light up the place, our homes and whatnot, because light has come into the world. Uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus is the light. And so light has come into the world, and as Christians, we have come under the influence of the light of Christ. We've been brought out of darkness. So he says, walk in love, walk as children of the light, not as children of darkness. And then in 5.15, he uses the word walk again. Walk as 
not as unwise, but as wise. So, let me unpack what Paul is saying here in our text. Let's uh, walk through this argument to see it in full this morning. He begins in verse 15 by saying, Therefore walk not as unwise men, but as wise. Paul is reminding us that we are not to live as if we are unwise. Why? Why would he say that? A good question. See, we need to understand this, this passage in its overall context here, because I think Paul is saying here, because God in his grace has numbered us among the wise. Paul is saying to the Ephesians and to us that once you and I were foolish. We were apart from Christ. But God has made us wise unto salvation. Once you lived in darkness. Once you lived without Jesus. But now you are not. And Paul's argument here is one that is from grace. One that is from grace. Let me explain. Paul has already said in chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, he has said that we have been saved by grace. All right? Through faith in Christ. We have been saved by grace. He's reminding the Ephesian Christians that they are not to live as unwise, but as wise because of the transformation of the gospel of Christ that has been made effective in their lives. Once upon a time they were foolish, but by the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has made them wise. We need to see that. And this is Paul's argument. By the way, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2, Paul will explain there that the Father has made Christians wise. How? By his Son, in whom dwells all wisdom. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 and 19, we say this, Christ the wisdom and power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But for us who are being saved, it is the, the power of God. It is foolishness for those who are perishing. Think about that for a moment. You talk about gospel stuff with people and they say, man, I don't want to be involved with that. It's good for you. It doesn't apply in my life. It is foolishness for them. But for us who have been saved, it is the power of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness. But to, to us who have been saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. I will destroy the, the, the wisdom of the wise, and the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Because they cannot understand this gospel. They cannot understand the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It is foolishness for them. And God says, I will frustrate their intelligence further. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it's further on. Verse 20, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Foolish the wisdom of the world. Why? Because the wisdom of the world does not bring us to God. The wisdom of the world does not bring us to an understanding of wise living. The wisdom of the world is a, is a lost wisdom. But the wisdom of God is embodied in Jesus Christ. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, 
then you have been made wise in Christ. Do you see that? See, though Christians may not be wise in the sight of the world, and though the world thinks that Christians are foolish, that we are just a, a bunch of weirdos, right? we are foolish to submit our lives to the will of God, we are foolish to trust in Christ for our salvation, we are foolish to think about heaven, we are foolish to follow Jesus, but God says, you're not. Never let anyone say to you, ah, oh, man, you're just a joke. Are you serious about Christ? Are you really, are you for real? Have you had that said to you? Are you for real in following Jesus Christ? Come on, that's, that's, that's archaic. The gospel is, that's, that's for the 16th century, it's not for 2013, surely. You're not for real. Uh, let me encourage you this morning. <laughs> because if you're a Christian, you possess the true wisdom because you know that Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Christ, the wisdom of God, dwells in you. That is a tremendous thing. Through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Christ, the wisdom of God, dwells in you and he has made you wise unto salvation by accepting Christ, who is the wisdom of God, dwelling in your heart and mind. Wow. Do you see that? That's what Paul's argument here is. So Paul therefore appeals to our possession of true wisdom. It's not that we started off wise. It's not that we were inherently wise. Not that we are smarter than others and therefore we ought to be smug because I'm a Christian, I'm a wise person. Of course not. But God has made us wise by converting us by grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the wisdom we possess is because of his grace. That's what we see here. And so we begin to see the world. We begin to live our lives in the light of that wisdom, in the light of the new creation that we are in Christ. You know, the Bible tells us this, that if you are in Christ, you are a, a new creation. The old as gone, and the new as come. You're a new creation. God is doing a work in your life. He's doing a work in my life. Uh, we are not perfect. I don't stand here and say I'm a perfect guy, right? Never. But God is doing a work of transformation in your life and mine. So God has made us wise unto salvation. We are to live as those who are wise. So what does this look like? On the basis of what Paul says, he says, walk as wise, live in wise lives. The Apostle James says this in, in James chapter 3 and verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good, deed, good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. See, what James is saying here is, well, you're saying you're wise and you're understanding, show me. You've got wisdom, James says, show me that wisdom and understanding in how you live. And how are we to understand wisdom in the Bible? Wisdom in the Bible is not some theoretical thing. It is extremely practical. You look at uh, Proverbs. What do we see in Proverbs? Very practical book, isn't it? Right? Uh, wisdom is practical. Wisdom is never understood to be known until it is done. And wisdom is played out in the arena of our lives. Yes, God has made us wise, but we are to apply the wisdom of Christ in our lives. We need to pray. We need to ask God for wisdom, for practical daily living. Agreed? Asking him for wisdom. 
and it's displayed in the choices we make in life by our actions. And you make unwise choices, you make unwise decisions. If I do that, there will be consequences, right? And then we can't blame anyone else. I can't blame God because of some unwise decision that I made in my life and say, oh God, just so terrible. Why? What's going on? You make those unwise choices. There may be consequences for us to pay in our lives as well. So wisdom isn't that you know some kind of stuff. It's knowing and believing, desiring, doing the truth, the will of God all wrapped up together in our hearts. So what does uh, wise living look like? What does it look like? Paul gives us three aspects here. I'm thankful for that in the text here this morning. He says it will impact the way we live, walk, our daily living. It will help us understand the Lord's will. And it will also help us redeem the time. One, be careful how you walk. Listen to what he says. Therefore, be careful how you walk. You see this word walk. In the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the, way, the word walk is a way of life. Uh, the way we behave, the way we act. A Christian is called to, to walk in godliness. Um, the question for us this morning is, am I living wisely? Uh, am I living as a gospel Christian in the world? As a church here at St. Stephen's, are we living as a gospel community here at Surrey Hills? The wise person takes care to be certain that the way he or she is living honors God and has made us wise, has made us wise by knowing Christ. So don't be unwise. We embrace 2013 by not being unwise, but living wisely, all of us. Secondly, is to understand God's will. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's saying to this church, don't be foolish, understand the Lord's will. Now, I'm sure nothing is more important in life than knowing God's will and embracing it. What is the Lord's will? No doubt many Christians here, at one point or another, has asked the question, what is God's will for my life? Haven't you asked the question? What is God's will for my life? Why am I here? I mean, I ask myself the question. I won't say the discussion I had with my beautiful wife, Rose. She thinks I'm contemplating too, too much. I said, well, it's another stage in my life. You know, 2013, years are passing by. Man, you know, what's going on? Where am I? What am I doing? Why am I here? You know, what's God's purpose? Kind of questions that you ask, but sometimes you share with your husband or your wife. Uh, what is God's will for my life? It's certainly, it's understandable that we want to know God's will for our lives. We want to know God's will to questions such as these. Uh, what career path should I choose? I've just got through my VC, my IB. Congratulations to uh, those who got, by the way, IB results uh, in our congregation. I know they did very well. Congratulations to, uh, to Sam and, uh, and, and others who, who did well. So praise God for that. What, what, what are we NVC students as well? What, what am I going to do in 2013? What, which career path? And you're going to get this thing written in the sky saying, now, um, by the way, put your name there. I want you to follow this course. It's not going to be there, right? God's not going to write it in the sky. Maybe he can, I'm not saying he won't, but, but it doesn't happen that way. Uh, which university course should I do? I mean, what uni, uni should I go to? Who should I marry? 
Very important question. You know, are we praying for the single people in our congregation? I, I just want to encourage us to do that. Because I was speaking to someone last week, and this person said a very important thing. And This is what the person said. Isn't it wonderful to have Christians in a church family learning to get falling in love and growing together within a community of believers? And how we need to support and guide our young people when they find Christian partners in their lives, in their youth group, in the in PYV, at CU, we ask our young people to find Christians. You don't find them on the streets. They are here, they may be on the streets, but they are within the context of uh, camps and CUs and NTEs and whatever. You, that's where the, the, the Christian fish are. Sorry to use that phrase, but uh, you know what I mean. And it's a serious thing. We need to be praying for them, supporting them. If they have fallen in love with somebody else and as a great thing, then we encourage them and say, well, you know, A, B, C, D, and give them guidance and, and see them blossom in a loving relationship. And hopefully they get married and settle down. Where does God want me to live in 2013? Should I sell my house and go to a retirement village? Now, I know some people have shifted homes last yesterday and... Uh, God's guided Jess and Peter Battery to come and live in Hawthorne rather than St. Kilda, closer to us. Right? Where do I live? Where do I serve? Where do I work? Now, these are important questions, but the Bible never answers this, these kinds of questions directly, does it? For our part, we are to apply biblical teaching wisely to our circumstances by relying on the Holy Spirit to guide us through the God's Word. We can also seek advice from wise, mature Christians to help us make decisions that are pleasing to the Lord. And the context here in Ephesians 5, we can say that the Lord's will is that we live our lives wisely as children of the light who have been saved by grace and live in response to that grace. As a church family at Surrey Hills, we need to be focused on doing the Lord's will. For example, growing in our faith, being a spiritually healthy church, reaching the lost for Christ, loving one another, forgiving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another. This is the Lord's revealed will. We don't need to go and find out, Lord, what is your will for St. Stephen's? It's there already. Right? We ought to be a missional church. Isn't that biblical? We ought to be praying for conversions. Isn't that the Lord's will? Aren't we supposed to love one another? Isn't that the Lord's will? We don't need to go looking elsewhere. It is here in the Word. And then Paul says, redeem the time. See, look at what he says. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. For one thing, the wise are realist. The days are evil. We know this too well. We live in a fallen world. We accept the Bible's teaching that all humans and all areas of human life are infected by sin. And human beings are inherently, inherently and deeply flawed. And so the days are evil. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, a great preacher, masterfully wrote in a letter uh, to the Times, he said, Dear Sir, what's wrong with the world? I am. End of, end of the, the sentence. I am. So how should we live in the, in the midst of uh, evil days? Paul says, redeem the time. Time is a great level of friends. Uh, we are all given 86,400 seconds every day. And whatever we don't use, whatever we don't redeem, whatever we don't buy up and use, we lose. 
Redeeming the time here in the context here means to recover from power of another by paying the price. And when we redeem something, it is rescued, it is purchased from some negative condition. And the basic negative condition we are concerned here in this context here is don't waste your time. So to waste time is to spend it on that which has little or no value. Now, every person has the same number of hours to use every day. And yet we run around and we say, oh, I wish I had extra time. Haven't we said that? I've said it. Oh, I wish I write the sermon and I think sometimes, oh man, if I had just another half a day more, I could have done more work on this sermon. I'd be saying that even if I had done all my work, you'd be saying that all the time anyway. Oh, I wish I could have done a bit more. Oh, wish you say that. The, and the clock plays no favorites. The clock plays no favorites. We all have an equal measure of time every day. Now, where we differ, I think, is from one another is in how we redeem the time and what we have been being given and how we use it. I want to say this, friends. It is quite interesting to note that the word Paul uses here for time is the word, for those who are studying Greek, it's not showing off my Greek here, it's the word kairos, which is different from another word which is called chronos, from which we get the word chronological. The word chronos means an extended period of time, the following of one event from another, uh, upon another. But the word, it's interesting, the word that Paul uses here implies a specific moment. And Paul is saying here, seize the moment, seize the day, seize the time, and don't let the opportunity pass by. Don't let the opportunity pass by because you can't stop the clock. You can't stop the clock. Now, I know that in some sports, example, basketball. How many, I mean, those who play basketball, yeah, you know that. Now, I'm not a great scorer, but occasionally I've been rostered to score. And occasionally I have to operate that machine that stops the clock. You know that saying? You press the button and it stops. And Now... I tell you, that is a stressful thing to do, right? Especially when the game is towards coming to the last 20, 30 seconds and it's just that one goal difference at two minutes, you've got to stop this clock. Once or twice, I forgot to put this button and your parents, stop the clock, stop the clock. Wow, man. So what I've done is I passed on Rose to do that, the good work there. Sometimes we share this thing of scoring. And, and if somebody else is, is doing the clock thing and not stopping the clock and your team is nearly as an opportunity of winning, you shout, I, as a parent, I get too passionate with sports and I stop the clock, stop the clock. Now, say, essentially what I'm saying is stop the clock, the time, but the clock in a basketball match can be temporarily stopped. One can stop the clock. I can stop this watch if I take the battery out of this thing. But you really can't stop time, can you? Just stop in a clock. You can't stop time. In real life, there are no timeouts, friends. Is there? There are no timeouts in real life. So make the most of the time that God gives you. Redeem it, don't waste it. For example, if you're married, are you redeeming the time with your husband or your wife? Are you enjoying the intimacy and the blessings of marriage? Are you? This year, 2013, what are you going to do as a husband, your wife? How are you going to ask guys? What are we going to say to our wives this year? 
Are we going to be better husbands to our wives? Say, darling, I just love you the way you are. Just as I met you, you are so beautiful. Are you going to build that relationship? Uh, to the women here, yeah. are you going to love your husbands? Say, you know, whatever, anyway. <laughs> um, oh, what, what can you say? I'm sure you come up with all praise to your husbands. You guys, man, we'd be lost without you. What about those of us who are parents? Right? How do we redeem the time with our young children who are living with us? Eh? Young kids, right? Kids who are grown up and all, it's a different challenge. But you've got young kids, teenagers, and little ones growing up in your home. How do you redeem your time? Do we seize the opportunity to enjoy our precious children as God's gift to you? Do you? Uh, uh, do you seize the moment with them, teaching them God's word, praying with them, laughing with them, guiding them, crying with them? doing crazy things with them, you know, enjoying your children that God has given you. Because soon, our children will grow up and move out of the home. Um, Rose and myself, we know the feeling when Tanya got married last year and moved out of our home. I was uh, a mess for a couple of weeks uh, before and after, and uh, today is her birthday, and for the first time, she's not in our home. Normally, we have a breakfast for our kids, a birthday thing, you know, tradition's gone, life's moved on, um, but that's how life is. We won't want it any other way. We want our children, by God's grace, to uh, be prospered by the Lord, get married, settle down in life. Is that what parents, wouldn't you want that? Right? Or if they don't get married, that's fine as well. Right? Whatever it is for their lives. Um, Life moves on. Kids move away. Things happen, you see. So what about if you're a student at school or uni? Take the opportunity to study. What about redeem the time to use your gifts and talents to serve Christ in the church? You see, don't just sit in a congregation. I'm not having to go at anyone, please. This is not a guilt trip thing, you know. Don't take it that way. But use your gifts that God has generously lavished upon you. Use it. Please, come and tell me. Tell me, Chris, or tell John, I can serve Christ this way. Uh, if you have the gift, that is. I mean, I've offered my singing gifts to others, but they have gently uh, said no to it. Right? Uh, if you have a gift, use it. Don't just sit there and say, use it. Just redeeming your time. You're redeeming it. The gifts that God has given you, one day will finish. Bang. Gone. Use it. Redeem it. God has given me this gift. I want to use it. I want to be the whatever for Christ 2013. Right. Live it up. Don't just sit there. Waste your life. You see Psalm 90 as we keep moving on. Psalm 90 uh, with the psalm that we read. We said this. Uh, you see, um, the length of our days is 70 years. There are 70 year olds today. right? Or 80 if we have the strength. There are people well over 80 years. Yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. It speaks, you know, it speaks of this 70 years, years, perhaps if you're strong, 80 years. My question is, how long do you and I have on earth? How long do we have? Anyone? Did you know? No, the answer is we don't, right? Um, many have not lived up to 70 years. Many have not lived up to 80 Many have died young. You 
So you take for example what the psalm says. If it is 70 years, calculate this morning as to how many more years you have left. Do that calculation very quickly. It may be a scary exercise. Some may have a lot less. Some may have many more years left. Some may be on borrowed time. <laughs> right? But today on the sixth day of January 2013, God in his grace has extended life and health to us. How am I living my life for God? The climax of Psalm 90 is this. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Lord, teach us to number our days aright. Are you? See, we, um, we sang this morning, O oh God, our help in ages past. Isaac Watts said this, Our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. And the last verse of that, that hymn verse says this, Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. So, friends, as we conclude, how should we embrace 2013? One, embrace Christ in faith and trust him. If you are not a Christian this morning, coming to church will not make you a Christian. You need to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you today to give your heart to Jesus. How? By repenting, saying to God, I'm sorry. Maybe I've lived all these years without Jesus. 2013, I want to live my life for Jesus. One. Two, live wisely, trusting the wisdom of God and applying it in our lives. Three, understand what God's will is for us by his word, seeking wise counsel. Four, redeem the time, because we'll never get it back. All the opportunities that come your way. You say, God, if this is a good opportunity for me, something that you provided for me, something that I prayed and it's according to your word, I want to grab that opportunity. I want to live that life. Five, live our lives to glorify God. The Westminster Confession asks, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? Oh, to... Good, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. There you go, friends. What is the purpose of man? It is to be a worshiper. And how do you do this? By glorifying God and enjoying Him forever. I think this is a fabulous thing because why is glorifying Him and enjoying Him called one objective in this this statement? I think it is because of this. It is because the more you glorify Him, that is God, the more you enjoy Him. And the more you enjoy God, the more you glorify Him. And the more you enjoy God, and the more you glorify God, the more you will enjoy your life. Do you see that? Are you enjoying your life by glorifying God and enjoying Him forever? Man. Let me close. The psalmist says this. It's a wonderful prayer to close. Psalm 90. Listen to what he prayed. This is my prayer for us. May the favor of the Lord, shall we say it together? May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen. Let's pray. Father, may your favor rest upon us, O God. May you establish the work of our hands. 
You know, Lord, help us to embrace 2013 in faith, in confidence, not in ourselves, but in you. By redeeming the time, understanding your will, and living our lives wisely. In Jesus' name, amen.